Welcome to an episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and today I've got Sarah Grauf, uh, Senior Vice President of Events Strategy and Services with the San Francisco Giants, along with my co-host, Pat Gallagher. Uh, really excited to talk to both of them today about uh, life in the front office and uh, really the event space. I don't know if we've had anyone on in the event strategy uh, operations landscape yet, so really excited to talk to Sarah and She's got some unique experiences that uh, I don't know many other people can say they have. So without further ado, Pat, go ahead and kick it off. So Sarah, actually, I, I was fortunate enough to work with Sarah for a number of years uh, when I was at the Giants. She's now actually been at the Giants for just about half of her adult life, I think. I mean, uh, <laughs> but pr- pretty much about 17 years. And sort of, she's one, Sarah's one of those people that started in a place and you could tell right away that she was headed for great things. And so the Giants keep giving her more things to do and she keeps handling them. So, uh, you know, eventually she may probably going to wind up running the whole organization <laughs> uh, unless she can find a better offer than that. So, hey, Sarah, welcome. And, uh, um, I'm glad to have you on the podcast. And um, it, it, let me just talk about some of the other things, and then we can get into a conversation. So, aside from the other leadership things that Sarah is able that has taken on, she's now that she's actually the president of the um, uh, of, uh, International Live Event Association. Um, she's she actually has taken over uh, spring training for the Giants. Um, how did all this stuff happen? Tell me. You know, and I'm going to ask you some. I'm I'm not going to throw you any zingers, except maybe one. But uh, <laughs> but uh, t- tell me, it, it, when you have to explain to somebody what you do, how do you do it? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me on today. It's a pleasure to to be joining. I've listened to a lot of the episodes of the podcast, so I'm glad to hear there haven't been other event folks, so that I can't be screwing anything up or disagreeing with anybody <laughs> at any point. But um, My road started, you're right, Pat, about 17, well, 19 years ago, if you count my intern years. Um, I was attending Cal just across the bay in Berkeley, and I actually lucked into an internship with the Giants. So I would play field hockey and go to school during the fall, and then during the spring, I would basically go to class two days a week, and I'd work for the Giants the other three days in the community relations department. So it was a long road that started with setting up player appearances and, you know, library visits. And it was back in the days of JT Snow and Rich Aurelia and all those guys. So bringing, you know, kids with cancer in to meet with some of the players before the game um, and really kind of got started on the baseball side. I worked to date myself a little bit on the first uh, ticket relay system. It was actually prior to the days of StubHub and we were trying to get tickets into the hands of large charity groups. So we figured out a way for our season ticket members to be able to relay them And then uh, my other kind of big project at the time was working on, at the time, the San Francisco Bowl that then turned into the Diamond Walnut San Francisco Bowl and then the Emerald Bowl and (laughs) all the other names that it went through. Um, But that's where I really got to kind of start working closely with Pat and taking on some of the other non-baseball events at the ballpark. Well, I used to, you know, one of my friends from the the event business, because when you put an event together, I'm going to get into this a little bit, because... It's not just you have a lot of participants. I mean, you have the venue, particularly with a lot of music events and other events. You have, you know, you may have a promoter. Uh, you're going to have somebody who represents the talent. Um, 
and you're going to have sponsors involved. And your job as sort of an event person is to put it all together. And, and one of my friends said that there's no bad events, just bad deals. Do you, do you agree with that? <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. And I will tell you, you know, I studied politics basically in Berkeley and that has to be the best training that I ever had for getting into the events business because you're right it's all about figuring out a way to get all these different stakeholders together do it in a way that still feels like a lot of fun or to be very meaningful to the people that are attending and to make it look like all of that goes off without a hitch so it's no small feat and you have to make sure that you can be pretty nimble on your feet. Um, but yeah, it's really understanding the landscape. I think you put it perfectly. You know, when you get a venue and a promoter and fans and talents and sponsors all together in a room, you have to be able to understand where everybody's coming from and, and first and foremost kind of empathize with them and be like, okay, what's everybody trying to accomplish here? And at the end of the day, what do we want this thing to stand for? And then how do we figure out how to put all of those puzzle pieces together? So it is a lot of fun because there's a lot more strategy behind it than people think. Um, there's definitely checklists and logistics and everything else that goes on. Um, but once you really kind of get into the business and start to be strategic about what you're doing, you realize just how much you can impact all of those stakeholders. So I used to call uh, the, the, some of the big events that I was involved in particularly the ones that didn't look like they were going to go too well. I used to, you know, try to put a good spin on them and call them creative successes. And, <laughs> you know, uh, fortunately you were, you were involved in some of those, but t tell me, Sarah, what, what's the scariest, the scariest big event that you've ever done? Oh, so, well, there's a couple. And yes, I do remember vividly our creative successes that we had. I mean, they, they range from ski jumps to ice skating competitions to cut down concert venues that we had here. Um, I would say one of the scariest was when we decided to do the big air urban ski jump in the ballpark. And it was the first time that it had been done in the United States and we built this amazing jump and it was looking awesome. And we had all this snow that was being produced and literally about 30 minutes before we were opening doors, somebody said, we need a net. <laughs> like there's this huge gap jump that we have. It's a hot day in San Francisco. We've got athletes of all different shapes and sizes coming down this thing. We need to make sure it's safe and kind of really realizing that was one of those moments when I was just like, wow, it's not just fun and games. There's a lot of other aspects of this that we really have to kind of keep in mind and make sure we're keeping everybody safe. So that was one of those that was just kind of, it, it hit you all at once. I think now um, when I look at events, one of the most fulfilling events that we do, but also one of the scariest is our giant race, which we actually just had this last weekend. Um, we have, you know, 20,000 runners and in the landscape of today's society where, you know, we mm -hmm. do have to think a lot about, participant safety and spectator safety. And, you know, with an endurance race, you're thinking about that anyways, because you've got athletes who are out there and who are running and you often run into cardiac instances or other things during races. But now you have this whole other element of safety at the start line and we bring in cable cars and ballasts and it just adds a whole layer to things and it, it makes it really real in today's day and age. And it, it adds a whole new level of responsibility in terms of how you have to think about events and you, again, you want it to look great and feel great for everybody, but you still need to make sure that you're, you're putting up the walls that you can put up to keep everybody safe and to put all of that, that layer of protection in place for people. So that if something does go wrong, you know exactly how you're going to react to it. And it's becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of the game that we have to play every time we're putting on these events. Cause people expect that you come to an event like that as a, whether you're a spectator or a participant, and you expect to be safe. You expect it to be, you know, a good experience. And you know, that stuff doesn't just happen. 
And, you know, Sarah needs more credit. She actually founded the great race. Uh, what is it? 10 years ago, at least something like that. And, and you do more than one of those now, don't you do them in, in other cities other than San Francisco? Sure. Um, well, I didn't found it. I, I stole the idea, which like all great ideas, you know, you borrow them from people and you expand upon them. So we had a community event called Plate to Plate that was done here in San Francisco. And we kind of thought about it. We said, you know, this is a community group. They're doing a lot of heavy lifting. Why don't they let us take on the logistics of the events and they can just concentrate on fundraising? So we kind of mixed up the recipe a little bit and we took on the logistics for the race and grew it exponentially. I mean, we went from, you know, like 2000 runners to 5,000 to 10,000 runners and started raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity. And then we kind of thought what's next. And what we realized through the race was that it was a really great way to build the giants brand outside of our normal fan base. We were able to reach people that like to throw on their running shoes and, and get out on the streets who may or may not have had a huge affinity for the giants before. So we said, well, let's, you know, let's take it down to San Jose where we have our San Jose giants. And so we kind of did a, a smaller event a couple months prior leading into our giant race here in San Francisco. That was a huge success. And we had a lot of our, um, our San Jose market come out and support us for that. And then people started asking for more. So we said, great, we'll take this to Arizona. We love, uh, you know, our spring training experience. And it was a great way to get fans to travel out to Arizona early. And then we added Sacramento when our team moved over there. So now we're operating in, in four cities. Um, and what's great is that, you know, some of these logistics are, there's a recipe to it. And, and a lot of it is having like known and trusted partners and people that you can work really well with. So we have some production companies that we work closely with. We have, you know, people like your race day announcer and everybody that you can call. And, and just like baseball, you build your, your roster. And in some, you know, instances, you need to trade out a couple people and figure out what the right team to put on the field for each particular event is. But um, we've been really fortunate to have a really strong stable of partners that we work with. We have two folks in-house that work on our race or our race properties year round. And they're really responsible for building the voice of that property. So they handle all of our branding. They figure out what all the runner swag is going to be and come up with all our cool t-shirt designs and medals and bobbleheads and, and really kind of figure out ways to grow it. So this year um, in San Francisco, it ended up being a four day fitness festival. And we did everything from a women's fitness night to a challenged athletes foundation running clinic to yoga and boot camp, and then obviously had our signature events as well. So it's, it's definitely uh, an example of how you can kind of continue to build on, on something that's working and, and tweak it a little bit every year to make sure that you're getting everything you can out of it and continuing to build a great experience for your fans. Sarah, Talk about you, some of the, go ahead, go ahead. You, you, uh, you mentioned building a roster and, and, and obviously there's a lot that goes into the events, but and it's not going to happen in a week or in a, or in two weeks or three weeks. Obviously there's a lot of time and effort and energy that goes into it prior to building it. Um, and, and even the brainstorming sessions, et cetera, how do you go about building the team, you know, that you have in place currently uh, to put on these events, but also thinking long-term uh, there's got to be new and creative ways that you continue to better these events uh, down the road as well. Right. You can't just stay status quo. 
Ooh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting when I, when I started in events, it was just, it was people that like to throw parties, right? So you, you were, <laughs> you recruited whoever used to put on the best fraternity or sorority parties and, or put on their sister's wedding. And all of a sudden that was, you know, your events team. And, and now we're in a situation where people are actually studying this in college. You know, I'm on the board at Cal Poly and they have an entire experience management program really built around getting people to understand what these building blocks are for these events. Um, and, and building the team's really important. I think, you know, we're, we're fortunate at the Giants that we have great internship programs and we're able to find those people who are just good thinkers and who understand your brand and understand your goals. And you can always train them on some of the logistics. But now what we're finding is there's also a lot of people who, you know, are, are getting exposed to events early. They're studying it. They're understanding, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. There's even psychology for your, your event attendees and understanding what is their psychological experience when they're being greeted to when they're actually at the event to how they're kind of associating with your brand after. So there's a lot that you have to do in the follow-up phase of events to make sure you're actually recapping what worked and what didn't and gathering the data that you need to make sure that if you're doing that event again, you can continue to tweak the model to see the results that you want. So we now have everybody from, you know, we tap into our analytics department a little bit when we're looking at what are the survey results for things and and how are people responding to this product. Um, You know, we have people that really excel in the creative space. They're the ones that make it look pretty and kind of add that eye-catching moment or that Instagrammable moment. And then we've got people who are just so solid operationally that we know that people are going to be well taken care of from a safety and kind of a mechanics perspective from start to finish on these events. And it's really kind of the combination of that whole team together that allows us to kind of figure out how to write, create the right production for each particular project. And, and so sure. how do you, how do you, gauge success with events right i mean pat pat you were involved with them for a long time and what what makes a successful event uh <laughs> depends on the <laughs> event <laughs> so yeah half the time i mean yeah, nice. i'll just say let me just throw this i mean i think in in most of these cases i mean it, it's not that we're if we were a nonprofit organization it wasn't by design okay it was because because that's what would happen so in many of these cases you want to have a good experience you'd like to make a profit on it and when I say make a profit, there's a lot of mouths to feed when you do an event. I mean, a lot of people who expect to, you know, to not only to get paid, but to have it, um, you know, to get paid in a timely way. But, but Sarah, t- t- you've, you've got this down now. But when you started in this thing, the first talk about one of the first big music events that you did and how that how that unfolded. Yeah. Um, so one of my first big events here at the ballpark would have been Dave Matthews concert. Um, and at the time, I think Giants Enterprises was a department of about four people. <laughs> so we, right. it's kind of one of those things where it was like, great, we've, we've got a band and we've got a stadium and now we need to figure out how to get everything done in between. And I kind of, I think probably stared Pat at you and Steven and Greg Perloff at the time with a completely blank look on my face being like, okay, now what guys, <laughs> where do we take this thing? Um, but that's really, you know, it was, it was trial by fire a little bit on the first one. Um, first we had to sit down and, and we had to learn from our promoters and we had to say, okay, what does the artist need? You know, they need a stage and sound and lights and, and what are all the pieces that you need to put that together? So we kind of had to first lay the foundation there. 
And then we had to think about, okay, we need to sell the tickets. So what does that mean? Well, obviously we need a marketing plan, but we need to think about how is this already starting the experience for our season ticket members and our Giants fan base. And so we had to make sure that we kind of included them early in the process so that from the beginning they were feeling bought into this and taken care of. Um, And so you had to learn all the people that you need to talk to to make it happen. I mean, the first thing I do when we get any show is go talk to Russ Stanley in our ticket department and be like, okay, now what? You know, how are we going to carve this one up to make sure it all works? Um, and so it was it was a little overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. I probably ran around the ballpark. I wish I had a pedometer at the time because I bet <laughs> I would have, you know, <laughs> been clocking 40,000 steps every day. Um, but it was great because I was young. And at the time, I could stay at the ballpark for 16 hours and kind of see it start to finish, which was a great experience. And I, I honestly think that's part of the reason why I can be effective in my role today is because even though now I may be talking a little bit more on the front end about the financials and the risk factors and the right talent for events, I also understand what it's going to take on the the back end from all the folks who are really needed to put it together. Um, and having that kind of holistic experience, I think, has has served me kind of really well in my career path over the years because um, it helps you know put all the pieces together. Sometimes there's a benefit in not knowing any better. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, <laughs> I remind we, myself that on a regular basis. <laughs> so early on knowing any better and also also being able to, you know, uh, being able to to think on your feet when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes when things go wrong, you don't you know, you don't want anybody to know about it, but you have to figure out a way to fix it. And, uh, you know, we don't need to talk about all of them, but I, I, I will bring up in one of the shows that we did. And I think it was uh, I think it was Kenny Chesney was a show where in the middle of the show, we got word that the ballpark sewer system had clogged up and plugged up. Oh, and no. so now we're trying to figure out how to how do we communicate to the guests? How do we fix it? And who, what what sort of what sort of resources do we need? And it was I have to say it was really touch and go for a while. It was, you know, one of the interesting things about that situation is we were still partially in control, which is almost sometimes a harder position to be in. If if you're in a situation where you know you need to evacuate or whatever it is, then you just go into your plans, right? Like you're in you're in response mode at that point. But we were in that unique position where you were kind of seeing the train coming and you were trying to decide how you wanted to hedge your bets on this one. And, and so you're right, Pat, it was a lot of kind of figuring out, you know, what are our options right now? What's the best from a safety perspective, from an event perspective, to your point, from a financial perspective, to be totally honest, because, you know, for any concert, there's millions of dollars on the line too. And so trying to weigh all of those things together, um, it was a, it, that was a huge learning curve for me. Absolutely. And it's one that I, (laughs) that I talk to people a lot about, I remember another concert experience where, you know, a a truck driver that had the flooring that we needed just pulled over on the side of the road and said, hey, we want cash or you don't get your flooring product. And we're like, "Okay, (laughs) how do we beat this one? You know, so you do. It's it's kind of fun and you joke about it and you say it's rock and roll and that sort of thing. But I think the other thing that I've really learned in the events business and I'll, I'll credit Pat for this one, too, is. If it's not fun, it's funny. And at some point, you're going to turn around years down the road and be able to laugh about that story with a colleague or with, you know, if you're doing an informational interview, but maintaining that perspective in the moment at the events when things may be going a little haywire and you're trying to, to hide it from people, you have to kind of just laugh at yourself for a little while and, and remind yourself that a few years down the road, it'll start being funny. And it's not just yourself. I mean, you've got a whole team of people where, you know, sometimes I used to look at people in the eye and I could sort of tell when they were either on the red line or close to it. And 
you know, sometimes, you know, people need, you know, sometimes need people need a, a pat on the back. Sometimes they need a kick somewhere. But other times you, you just need to recognize when certain parts of your team may be, you know, maybe falling short. And it's your job to actually figure out a way to supplement so it doesn't let the whole team down. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's a huge thing that we're facing. I mean, events, definitely. It's it's really easy to redline in this industry. And one of the things that really frustrates me is a lot of times I hear, well, you just you have to burn yourself out. That's how you earn your stripes in this industry. And I, I really don't think that I don't think anybody should kind of be at that point, because if you're not if you're not enjoying it, if you're not being able to maintain perspective, you're also probably not doing your best work. And now there's so much on the line with events that you have to be doing your best work. But I think it's something that we, we kind of have started to pay attention to in general is a little bit of this, you know, redlining and the bleary eyes and that sort of thing isn't a badge of courage anymore. Um, and so I think as a manager of a team, when I start to see that, I see that as a sign of something being wrong, not necessarily somebody just working really hard. Um, and so it's, it is tough. It's hard to, it's hard to keep track of, you know, to your point, Pat, everybody's motivated in different ways, or, you know, you need to treat everybody slightly differently to treat them all the same. Um, and that's one of the hardest things about managing a team, but I think it's also one of the best because if you can find the right way to connect with each member on your team and make sure that they really can take in the moment and appreciate what you're doing, they're going to love their job that much more. Um, you know, I, I remember a long time ago, I was told at a concert to stand on stage and turn around and just look at the whole audience during one of those songs and soak it in and turn off your radio for a minute. And I now with every single employee that comes through the park, make sure that when we're putting on a concert, they're taking at least one song to turn off the radio and really recognize just what an incredible spectacle they're creating for all of those you know, fathers and sons who are attending their first Green Day concert or, you know, mother who gets to bring her sister to a concert that they've never seen before. It's it's a pretty special thing that we get to do in terms of making memories. But if you can't take the time to enjoy it, then you're not going to get the full experience of really being in this business. Yeah. So, Sarah, is in terms of why you got into the business in the first place and, and starting with that internship, do you still have the same motivations now as you did then? I was tricked. That's how I got into this in the first one. <laughs> no, we didn't, I mean, we, we didn't tell her what was happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, back then I was, I was a 19 year old who wanted an internship with a baseball club that I had loved forever. Um, and it, it started to turn into a passion. I, I, I remember um, I had the responsibility of putting together our first September 11th ceremony um, the year after. And being responsible for such an emotional kind of gathering is when it really struck me that events are, are really powerful and they're a tool for so much more than just having a good time or throwing a party. Um, I think now we're seeing it with the rise in quote unquote experiential events. When you're looking at partnerships, I mean, the money behind events has grown exponentially as marketing departments and sponsorship teams are really starting to see that true activation and how important that is to brand loyalty and everything else. So I think my tie to events has changed. Um, it changed from having fun doing it to understanding the power behind it to then really getting excited by the money and the growth behind it. And now it's the people behind it. To Pat's point, you know, at this point in my career, what I'm really focused on is is the human engine behind all these events. Um, and that's where I really feel like 
I can contribute to the team. You know, it's, I'm not any more effective with my checklist than anybody else on my team is going to be, but where I can be effective is, is being that cheerleader and making sure that they're understanding the resources that they have to continue learning and growing and, and figuring out what that next wow factor can be so that they can take a lot of pride in what they're bringing to the table. I used to get asked all the time about, you know, anecdotal things and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to explain one and then I'm going to let you think about one that is that, you know, things that people want to know what, okay, what, what happens when you get thrown a curve? And I, I remember when uh, we, first time we had the Rolling Stones um, at, uh, then it was uh, AT&T Park is they, is that uh, it was a Saturday, Sunday, and somebody on their team had figured out that the hotel they were staying in in San Francisco it was about a block away from a Catholic church that had bells that rang early in the morning on Sunday morning. And these people knew that that was not going to go over well with the band. So they actually went and made a donation to the church if they would not <laughs> ring the bells on Sunday. And I thought, you know, boy, that's talk about covering all the bases. But, but you know, and you always hear the stories about, you know, the, the crazy demands of, of you know, of rock musicians, whatever. I mean, you only have a certain color of M&Ms in the dressing room, things like that. But Sarah, I've given you a chance to think, are there any sort of anecdotal things that are sort of funny that you can share that um, of things that, you know, you just had to deal with on the fly or that you heard about on the fly? Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's lots of, you know, the, the stories are true. There are definitely those artists that are very particular about what they need. But some of that you just start to kind of work around. <laughs> um, but I remember specifically with the World Series Parade, um, we were doing a huge celebration. And World Series Parade, that's the one time that bleary-eyed is allowed because literally you find out you win and you've got about 48 hours before you need a million people on the streets. So you are, <laughs> you are going full throttle for quite a long time. And I show up at City Hall and I realized that there were water bottles on the stage, but none of them were our sponsor. And so we're immediately right before oh, we go man. to live TV, you know, trying to swap that out, which is a pretty normal one. So I would have thought that I would have wrapped <laughs> my head around sponsorship issues. So the next year or two years later, when we're fortunate enough to do this again, we had these Tiffany's pedestals that were made to carry the trophies through. And we said, all right, we're, we're going to make sure that these are really well affixed so that they're not toppling over in the back of these trucks so we kind of stuck or adhered the world series trophies to the top of these tiffany pedestals and then we're supposed to take them off and put them on clear podiums at city hall and i'm riding in the elevator with like nine cops and we're literally trying to pry the world series trophy off of this thing and we get it stuck and i'm just thinking I'm going to get fired from the Giants. I just ruined our prized <laughs> World Series trophy. What are we going to do? So we end up swapping out all the podiums with the actual Tiffany podium. Of course, the sponsor loves it. It probably didn't look the best on TV. But, you know, it's one of those things where you do have to just kind of react and turn things around and, and, and figure out how you can make the best of a, of a situation that goes a little bit haywire. So, Sarah, what's a big event that, you, that you've kind of always dreamed of doing um, that you haven't yet done? You know, it's funny. I, uh, early in my career, I would always have said the opening ceremonies to the Olympics. Um, I think that's just such a spectacle that, that brings the world together. Um, but I actually, I don't feel like there's an event that I really need to work on right now, um, which may sound really jaded, um, but I actually think it just, it goes to show that you can find a lot of opportunity in the events that you do produce. Um, you know, we had, uh, like I just mentioned our race last weekend and we had the challenged athletes out here 
And it was a two hour part of a four day event, but that two hours for me was something that I never thought I would have wanted to work on before. And it was something that was just so special that I was like, wow, this is incredible that this is what we get to do. Um, so for me, it's, it's much less about the spectacle right now. And it's, it's a lot more about the impact. Sarah, and, as so, you, and you've got, go ahead. Sarah, as you, as you have moved throughout your career, you know, similar to, I think, Bill and, and Stacy who, and even Russ, who we've had on from the job, job Pat, we've had the, we've had the, the super quad from the Giants. <laughs> um, We're having all the people that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored, Pat, I'm honored. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through and I'm going, wow. Uh, but Sarah, as you've moved through your career, what's maybe one thing that, that you've learned um, that you maybe wish you would have known when you started? And, and I say that in that, um, I think as we all think about the event side of things, we, you know, you mentioned it, it all started because you thought you could throw parties, but now you realize how many different departments you touch, right? You mentioned you had to go to rest on tickets and you probably got to work with marketing and you got to work with security. And I mean, there's just so many um, pieces of the puzzle that you touch uh, that you maybe wouldn't think of. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I am really fortunate. I actually owe this one to Steven Rivetria who, who really taught me from, early days of my career, the importance of getting involved in industry associations and making connections. And that's not connections for the sake of having a big Rolodex. That's connections for sake of feeling comfortable asking people for help, for insight, for support, uh, for ideas. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, especially in events, you've got a lot of type A people who take a lot of pride in their creativity and their ability to pull things off. But none of these things are, are done with just one person. So as you were talking about, you know, collaborating within our own organization, I think making sure that you have people outside of your organization. Um, some of the best events are put on when you take ideas from a completely different industry and then apply it to your event. Um, you know, I look at Outside Lands, who has done an incredible job of taking a music event and festival and, and putting in some really creative food and beverage experiences and opportunities um, and, and really kind of looking at how you reinvent. And they're doing that because they're thinking outside of the box of music, which is their daily grind, and they're going and, and crossing the boundaries. And I think, um, you know, really continuing to push yourself and to attend industry conferences and to make partnerships with colleagues at other teams or in other industries is super important as you build your career. Um, you know, you're only as good as all of the ideas that you can drum up. Um, so that would be one. And then the other one I learned from Pat Gallagher, who many, many times would take his yellow notepad and his pen and he would walk down the Embarcadero toward, it was either Reg Java House or Java Hut at the time, and he would say, sometimes you just got to get out of the office and let yourself think. <laughs> and I think in today's day and age, when everybody's run by their Outlook calendars, it is really important to just give yourself a little bit of time to sit back and say, am I doing the right things for the right reasons, whether it's for the event or for the department or for the organization? Um, and that can get lost because everybody's moving a million miles a minute. But I think it's it's really, really important to do. I mean, we're in the fun business, right? We are. We're definitely in the fun business. <laughs> the, fun, the fun business so, or the funny business? Both. Uh, the funny business. So, so I, I'm going to date this podcast, but I think it's because uh, we had an opportunity. So 30 years ago, uh, in about two weeks, was the anniversary of the uh, Earthquake World Series. Yes. And, um, and you know, actually, I, have, I was the vice president of business operations for the Giants uh, in 1989 for the, for the World Series. And so you're standing on the field. We're ready for the first World Series game in 27 years. 
we've got everything ready to go. And then all of a sudden we have a, you know, we have an earthquake, 15 seconds, the ballpark shakes. And so everybody, you know, kind of, they, they, there was a big whoop out there. Well, let's get going. And I'm looking and I noticed that all, every one of the scoreboards um, in the ballpark were black. Um, and we obviously had lost power. And so you're trying to think on your feet about what to do. And if Sarah, I know that you've had to think on your feet a number of times. I'll tell you the thing that I've thought about is you know, we have no power. How do we tell all these people, these 58,000 people that the game's going to be, it's not going to be played. And we went out, we actually went out and had the, the ground crew go and pull the bases off the field. Mm -hmm. So, and had all the players walk off the field. And I think, even though we didn't make any announcement, I think folks in the ballpark had had the opportunity to kind of look at it and said, I don't think this game's being played. But Sarah, g give me an example of something that you've really had to think on your feet and that you've a problem that you've solved that maybe nobody ever knew about. Yeah, well, uh, so this is a good one, actually. Um, we were hosting a concert for a convention in town in November, and we had Green Day playing. And it just starts raining and, you know, the, the front of house console ends up getting all wet and sound starts to go down. And so all of a sudden you've got Billy Joe Armstrong up there, Green Day, which is normally a pretty loud amplified band, has no sound. And you've got 30,000 people in your ballpark. And that was one of those times when we're like, what do we do? Because we've got a, a client that, you know, this is making or breaking their, their convention right now. And so actually, Pat, to your point, we turned to technology on the other side of it. And we started looking at the Twitter feeds and Facebook posts and everything of the people who were in the ballpark because Billy Joe Armstrong started to sing, uh, you know, they were going without power, but he was putting on a great show for everybody right in front of the stage. And so we were reading the feed. And even when we got power up, we were realizing that people were having such a great, unique experience. And the reaction was actually so positive that we looked at our client and we said, hey, let's keep the sound off a little longer. Like, let's actually let this run its course a little bit more. And so that was one of those where we took that, which, you know, technology can be a double edged sword in today's day and age, because it also highlights a lot of those areas where you can be exposed. But we used it to our advantage and kind of figured out what was a bad situation. We let it run a little bit longer. We turned it into a little bit more of a positive. And then at the right time, we were able to bring house sound back up and kind of put the rest of the concert on. But our client looked at us and was like, hey, that was that was really smart. Like we actually looked at this a completely different way and we never would have thought of doing that before. So um, it was a nice way to kind of turn things on their head a little bit. Wow. So, so Sarah, what, you, a lot of our listeners for the podcast are people who are uh, in sports management programs or who are in the sports business and they're, you know, looking to grow and advance. I mean, if you were talking to, if you were speaking to them now, what, what kind of advice would you give them? What would you say would be things that they should, they should either do or should, they should not do? Um, I think sports is still a small world. So if you want to be in sports, it is about networking. Um, people I have found in this industry are very um, generous with their time. I think a lot of us feel like we owe it to people to kind of keep opening doors for folks in this industry since we really appreciate being here. So I would tell people not to be afraid to ask for the informational interview. Absolutely get out and volunteer. Um, you know, events and sports teams are always looking for people to kind of help out. And you never know when you're going to meet someone in an organization and connect with them over 
an event or a volunteer experience and then be able to parlay that into something down the road. Um, I also just, I always encourage people that, you know, sports is not just about the name on the Jersey. There are so many ways that you can interface with sports, whether it's working for a brand who has a close affinity with the sports. I mean, we're right now working on a mission rock development. So we've got people in real estate and finance and analytics who are actually getting to work with a sports team on a massive project in a way that they probably never imagined would have tied into sports. So um, thinking outside the box a little bit, I think is, is also really important for people. Sarah, in an age where a lot of people are really eager to get to the next thing or get to the next level. And for you being someone who's risen up the ranks um, in just one organization, can you speak a little bit to maybe whether it was the patience you had or how you kind of navigated and, and waited for the right opportunity or, or quite frankly, were prepared for the opportunity when it maybe came to you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's an interesting thing that I think a lot of companies are facing right now is this dynamic between, and people, I'll say the M word, millennials, although I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> confined to millennials, but about people who come in and, you know, every year they want a promotion and every year they think they should be, you know, running a department or making twice the salary or doing everything else and, and kind of a lack of patience there. And then you've got the flip side where you've got in our organization, a lot of people who have been around for a really long time. And it's how do you how do you bridge the gap between those two mentalities? And I think one of the reasons I've been so fortunate here at the Giants is we have a very supportive um, management group and management team who have always listened with open ears when when I've said I've got this skill set or I recognize this problem. And so I think I can contribute better in this way they've always been open to hearing that. And so I've been fortunate that I've actually, I think for the most part since 2004, never really had a position that was quote unquote created before. It was always a new position where it was kind of like, hey, this is how our business is changing and how I can contribute. So let's look at doing something a little bit differently. And the combination of being able to create your own path within the consistency of a stable organization um, is something that I'm very thankful for. And I, I recognize that that's a really unique opportunity. So I'm not going to go out and tell everybody to do that. But I think you can't be afraid to advocate for yourself and really recognize what you bring to the table um, and really think about how you can contribute strategically. And it's okay to have those conversations to not just say, here's a path that's set in stone and I just need to kind of climb the ladder, you know, challenge yourself to figure out where you can contribute in multiple facets of your organization's dynamics so that you don't get too pigeonholed into one specific area. No, that's wow. great. I don't know if you so, can say it any better than that. No, you can't. And it's great. And you know, I'll, 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 I'll go back to some earlier episodes. Sarah's one of those, I said, there's two kinds of people. There's problem creators and problem solvers. And Sarah has always been one of those problem solvers where opportunities tend to find people like that. And, and when, when, there's, when, there's a, when there's a challenge or an opportunity, you try to figure out, okay, who are the people who would be, or are open to that and can help figure it out? And Sarah Hunt, Sarah Hunt Grauf, and I, <laughs> I know her as Sarah Hunt, which was her, was her name, and now it's Grauf, um, which, is her, uh, which is her name. And she's, she's always been a problem solver. Oh, thank you, Pat. I appreciate it. Thanks for making so many problems for me to solve. <laughs> so I, Pat, specialize, I used to specialize in those. Yeah. yeah, no, I was a, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Pat, Pat, you've, you've, uh, if you're the problem creator and you hired all the problem solvers, you had your job solved. That's true. It, there and you it's, go, yeah. It's, it, look, it's a, and I, you know, you hope that people listening to this who are in the business will continue to strive to, you know, to look for new opportunities or be, you know, be, be sort of problem solvers versus problem creators. So you sort of hope that, but there's no better example of somebody who, uh, continues to grow in the business because of the amount of care, energy, and diligence that she puts into it. And uh, and Sarah's the best example I can think of. So, um, Sarah, thanks for coming on with us. And uh, um, we uh, maybe we'll get a chance to visit with you again um, after after you know more events and more experiences. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it.